Well, say amen if you have Hosea chapter 6. Amen. Well, good. If you don't have it, share with your neighbor. And uh, we are neighborly here. Hosea chapter 6 and verse 1 says, Come and let us return unto the Lord. For he hath torn us and he will heal us. He hath smitten and he will bind us up. Then Proverbs the 15th chapter. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 9 states this. The way of the wicked is an abomination unto the Lord. But he loveth him that followeth after righteousness. He loves him that follows after righteousness. And I want to minister, speak, teach, just however it kind of comes out tonight, on a challenge to the church in this generation, and that is for us to return to righteousness. Let us return to righteousness. Why don't we lift our voices and let's just ask God to minister to us, speak through his word. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word, for the opportunity to have it to speak and to minister to our hearts and to our lives. God, I pray that you will anoint, quicken my heart, my mind, my spirit with your word tonight. Quicken also our ears and our hearts to respond and to be obedient to what you would say. God, allow it to minister to us, to change us, to challenge us, to convict, to do the work that it is needed in our lives, God. We're asking this all in your name and going to give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, let's go back. Now, I feel like I'm going back tonight. I have a mic with a cord on it. It's good every once in a while just to go back and be reminded of some things. Scripture is not just given, and we don't have Scripture just to to try and look at at what it can do for us and how it can lead us and how it can guide us, but but even Paul acknowledges the importance of going back and and just revisiting and being brought to remembrance some of the things that that were preached and some of the things that were taught and, and to allow it to encourage us and to continue to root us and ground us in our faith and in our doctrine and in our following after Jesus Christ. And we can readily admit and readily acknowledge that we live in a generation that has become more and more wicked. I'm not much on getting political and being political, but let's be honest. When you look at even this recent election and and all the people that are excited about about the election of of Donald Trump as president, but for as many as are glad and excited about his election, there are more, and it would seem almost, that, that are as opposed to his presidency. Because of, for them, what he represents, he is the antithesis of what they wanted, what they desired. And let's just be honest, when you look at, at the thought process and the direction that those people have gone and they are, they are moving toward that, it would lead us into more of a, a wicked and a vile generation, a vile world that we live in. And the Bible even acknowledges that evil seducers will wax worse and worse. And so if ever we live in a day and a time where the church needs to be the church 
And this world needs to see people who still believe in righteousness, who believe in godliness, who believe in holiness, who still believe that there is right and wrong and there is a difference between good and evil. It is this day and age. It is this present time. And I still believe that God wants a church that is different from the world around it. A church that is a light, a church that is salt, a church that is leading and pointing people to a God who can save and who can redeem. We need a church that is in the world, but not of the world. Reminded of the old hymn, as a matter of fact, in the old Pentecostal praises, I believe it was hymn number one. That this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. I'm not meant to stay here. This is just a temporary place of residence, but my home is under construction. My home is being prepared for me. So while I'm in this world, I'm not of this world, but I also don't want to leave this world on my own. And I don't want to just go to heaven with you. I want to take others with me. I want to take others that have not had the opportunity yet, that perhaps tonight have never heard about a God who can save and a God who can deliver, a God who's able to reach in to the muck and the mire of their life and and cut through the sin and the shame and reach in and pull them out of that life that they're living. It's easy to realize we live in a very wicked, wicked world. As a matter of fact, the wickedness of man is not found in his capability, his capacity to do good. But the wickedness of man is found in his ever-ending desire to choose evil. Because even wicked men can do good things. I mean, the Bible even says... That ye being earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to your children. Even a drunk man will stop beating his kids and his wife once in a while. Even someone who is bound by drugs can say, I love you to their other family members once in a while. You see, all humanity is not devoid of goodness. It's just that we have in our flesh the desire to choose to do that which is evil. Let's really put the rubber to the road. How many even after living for God have come to points and places in your life where you made choices and you made decisions. You did things that you knew weren't righteous. Because our flesh will readily do the things that it desires to do. We are more apt to take the road that is easy, the path that is easy rather than the one that is rough, rather than the one that is difficult. It's it's easy to make the simple choices. It's harder to make the tough choices. And I believe that God is calling us as a church to say, you know what? 
even as easy as it would be to take the path of least resistance. I want my people to return to me. We have watched not just in this world, in the secular world, but we can even see and we can even point to the religious world and say that the religious world is not what it used to be 25 and 30 and 40 years ago. Why? It could even be said that we aren't what we used to be even 10 years ago. Let's just even look at it like this. And, and there are some of you that may be old enough to remember, but let's be honest, there are some things that have crept in to the religious world today that not just in ap the apostolic movement, but in other denominations that, that years ago would have been cast out, run out, prayed out, preached out, are now accepted for the sake of a crowd or for the sake of the finances that they've allowed certain things to come in and they've allowed certain sin to become acceptable. I don't know about you, but maybe I'm just a little old-fashioned, but a white lie is still a lie. And gossip still wrong. And cheating on a test. Well, some of you think I'm going on, I'm going to get on tithe and all. That's pastor's job. <laughs> but will a man rob God? You know, I, I worked for a company. And I'm going to tell you what. Some of the standards that they would hold their employees to would make me as an apostolic almost feel odd because, I mean, they made you feel like you're going to do 10, in, 10 years in the county if you took a pin home from work. I mean, I'll be honest, I got home and, and you know how these you're writing and you put the pin in your pocket and I got home and I felt horrible all evening long but not because I felt convicted because I, you know the Bible said you stole that pin but because company policy said that's property of the company. Folks, I want good old fashioned apostolic godly conviction. I want my heart to be challenged to do what's right because it's what's right. Not because it's what it is expedient at the moment. I don't want to just do right because, well, it might get me ahead here. It might get me ahead over there. It might put me in the good graces. I want to do what's right just because the word of God says it's right. I want to do right because I should be doing right. The last thing in the world I want somebody to do is say, well, I don't like them because they're a hypocrite. I mean, you know, you get that. I don't go to church with them because I don't go to church because there's a bunch of hypocrites there. You probably heard it said, you know, they can say there's hypocrites in church. That doesn't keep people from going to work. Doesn't keep people from going to the grocery store. There are a lot of places we go and there are hypocrites there. I want to go to church with a bunch of hypocrites. Why? Because I know that if they're in church, there's the chance that God's going to get a hold of their life and who, somebody who once was a hypocrite, now is going to be someone who's living righteously and godly in this present world. 
Now I'm getting heavy, so can I insert a moment of levity and just insert this phrase as I hasten to a close? The Bible says there is a way that seemeth right unto man. But the end thereof is destruction. The end thereof are the ways of death. There is a way that seems right. There there is a direction that seems like it's right. But when you look down the road a ways, when you look ahead a little ways and you start to try and, and map out the direction you're going, a lot of times you find out you're going the wrong way that the path you're headed down is going to lead you to some pain and to some trouble and to some grief and to some stress and to some worry and to some difficulty. There's a way that seems right. And the Bible talks quite a bit about that way of the wicked and that it is destructive. It is it is a way that even Psalms 1 and 6 says that will not prosper. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Psalm 11, 5 and 6 says, The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked, and him that loveth violence, his soul hateth upon the wicked. He shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and in horrible tempest, this shall be the portion of their cup. He also goes on to challenge us to, to depart from that way. How many's glad that there was a day that somebody maybe knocked on your door or passed by your desk and told you there was another way. That you didn't have to keep living life the way you were living. And that you could change your direction. You see, we live in a world that, that so many people are blinded to the fact that they can change the direction. They, they've been lured and deceived into thinking that, well, I've already started down this path and I've already started down this way and, and I can't get off, I can't go. They're, they're stuck in a rut. They don't think they can get I am grateful to know that there is a God who says it doesn't matter where you are, it doesn't matter how far gone it may seem, you can still change your direction. You can still turn from the way that you're going. You can depart from that path. Proverbs 14. Solomon speaks and he admonishes, he's writing to his his children, to those that are coming behind him. In verse 13 he says, enter not into the path of the wicked and go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Pass not by it. Turn from it and pass away. The responsibility that we have, not just as ministers, but as a church, is to let this world know, change your direction. Turn, avoid the path that you're going down. Don't even, don't even give it a second or a third thought, but, but turn away and, and pass not by it. Avoid it, resist it, and turn and return back to righteousness. I've lived long enough that I have watched as many lives have been destroyed because of their unwillingness to turn 
and the direction and the life, the path that they were traveling. If we as a church, and as the children of God, are going to direct this world, point this world to Jesus, point this world to a cross that can change their direction, then there are three things that we have to be careful of. I have watched and I have seen as God has spoken to me and challenged me over the past several months in these three areas. You see, as, as children of God, we all know right off the bat, how many of you, 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 know, you say, you know, I feel a little weird sometimes. I feel like I don't fit in. You know, go to work and everybody starts talking about what they're going to be doing on Friday night. They're talking about, well, man, we're going, man, we're going to go to the bar. We're going to go drinking. We're going to go do this or we're going to do that. And they may even say, hey, why don't you come join us? And say, well, no, I can't. They follow up with that dreaded question, why not? I made up my mind, you know, next time that happened, I'm saying, well, because I'm a goody two shoes. <laughs> I mean, think about it. If I tell them, well, I don't drink, they're going to give me the same weird look. And I'm just going to be honest to look at them and say, well, you know, I don't drink. Then they're going to ask me, well, why don't you drink? It's all going to come right back to the, well, because I'm a goody two-shoes. I go to church. And we don't believe in, in defiling our body with alcohol. We don't believe in defiling our body. We believe that, that our body is a temple. And so I'm taking care of the temple. So that's why I just goody two shoes. Figured I better do that. Holier than thou just sounds too harsh. Well, I'm holier than thou. I at least want to think they'd come visit my church once. At least come back and hear the pastor. There are three things that we have to be very careful of. If we're going to return to righteousness, we're going to be the church that God has called us to be. One of the things we have to do is we have to watch who we follow. I have to be very careful about who I follow. Now, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about the world. But let's just make it personal. Let's just get to the really rough stuff right up front. How about that? Sometimes I don't need to be concerned about who I follow in the world. Sometimes even in the church I have to be careful about who I follow. Because number 16 tells a very enlightening story. Verse 23, we pick up kind of in the middle of it. Bible says, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the congregation, saying, Get you up from about the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. 
Korah, Dathan, and Abiram have come together. Korah has decided that he doesn't like the way Moses is leading and that he can do a better job. How many of you ever felt that way? Maybe not even with the pastor, but your job, you work, you know, you feel like I could do better than they're doing. I work in a company run by idiots. If that's a taboo word, you tell the pastor on me. But I've been known to use idiots, morons, stupid. Preaching at one church, I said those three words. The pastor's wife nearly had a heart attack. But Dathan, Abiram, and Korah had all decided they could do a better job. So they confronted Moses and they let him know, hey, we think we can do better job than what you're doing. We don't like the direction you're taking us. And we think we can take Israel in a better direction. And, and Moses says, I'm going to go to the tabernacle. I'm going to pray. And we're going to let God choose. And we're going to let God decide who's the leader and who he wants to lead. And if it's you, that's great. If it's us, that's great. But let's let God decide. And so that's where we find ourselves at this point. Moses has gone to the tabernacle. He's prayed. God spoke and told him what to do. Then Moses does something that I am grateful for because it sets a precedent and it gives me an appreciation for a pastor and for leadership who do the same thing. But Moses, the Bible says, rose up in verse 24. says, and went unto Dathan and Abiram. Now mind you, God's just told him, said you get up and you go to the congregation and you tell them to leave and get away from the tabernacle or the houses, the families, the influence of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. But Moses goes and he gets Dathan and Abiram and the elders of Israel follow him and he speaks unto the congregation and he addresses them. I am grateful for a pastor who looks out and may see somebody who may just be caught up in the moment, who may be under the influence, who may be thinking kind of like Dathan and Abiram probably were, there might be something in this for me. And if Cora wins, there's a position on the church board or there's a position on the church staff and if they get in control, then I'll have a little control. And, and let's be honest, we all like a little bit of power. I mean, that speaks to our human nature, our flesh. But I am grateful that there are leaders who will say, I'm still going to take a Dathan and a Byram who may not know exactly what they're doing, who may be caught up in the what's in it for me spirit and attitude. But I'm going to go and peradventure there's a chance they'll come out and they can be salvaged and they can be saved. I'm grateful for a pastor who's willing to say, God may not have told me to offer grace, but I'm still going to offer for grace. I'm still going to reach to somebody even if they don't want to be reached. The sad story is Dathan and Abiram did not depart and they were swallowed up along with Korah and his houses and his lands and their families. They, they suffered the same punishment. They suffered the same same 
thing that that Korah did. And, and this this day, even now, there's an expensive parcel of desert out there that, that nobody will ever find. All their gold, all their cattle, everything they possessed was buried and swallowed up with them all because they chose to follow the wrong person. Whether it's in the world or in the church, we must be careful about who we follow. Because once they're done with us, they'll throw us to the side. We just become another tool for them to use. We've just been another person for them to use as a rung on their stepladder, a rung for them to climb, and once they've finished, we're forgotten. I've got to be careful who I follow. I also have to be careful about where I go. I remember hearing the old-timers You don't hear it too much anymore. But I believe it still holds true. But I remember a lot of the old timers talking about when they got saved. I don't go the places I used to go. I don't do the things that I used to do. I gave up some of my family. I gave up some of my friends. I gave up some of the activities. Why? Because I wanted to do what God wanted me to do. I wanted to go where God wanted me to go. I wanted my heart, my life, my spirit to be right with God. There's an old song they used to sing. I'm leaving all to follow Jesus. I'm turning from this world away. I'm standing firm upon his promise and all I have is his today. I left everything. Now let's be honest, I grew up in church. Those of you who came out of the world, I will readily admit you probably gave up a whole lot more to live for God than I had to give up. And I'm not belittling that. I'm not begrudging that. I I think that's great, that's awesome that you were willing to say, you know what, it doesn't matter what I used to enjoy and what I used to do in the world. I'm willing to give up those pleasures. I'm willing to give up some things that brought me joy and happiness and maybe even brought me a little sense of peace. I'm willing to give those up. I'm willing to avoid some places and not go some places so that I can make it to heaven. Story of a man came to church, got saved, started living for God, but he kept struggling. Find himself going back into the saloon and hanging out, running around with the old crowd. Went to the pastor. Said, Pastor, I need you to pray for me. I need you to help me. He said, I'm trying to live for God. But I keep finding myself going back to some of the old things and doing some of the things I... I used to do and go to the places I used to go and I know it's not right and I find myself after I get out of those places I, I feel such great conviction I, I know it's not right but pray for me. The pastor said well I'll pray. The next weekend, next Sunday they come to church the pastor goes to him and says brother how's it going this week? And he said well it's going well. And he said how, how did things go for you? And he said well pastor he said I still 
still struggling. Said I went into town some this week and said every time I went in, I found myself back in the saloon, hanging out with my friends and enjoying some of the things and doing some of the things I used to do. And, and I still struggling. He said, I don't know what to do. And he said, Pastor, I don't know. Is there, you have a word from the Lord for me? The pastor said, yes, sir, I do. He said, because I happened to go into town couple of times this week and you happen to be in town at the same time and I noticed when I came into town that your horse was tied up in front of the saloon he said yes sir he said well God wants me to tell you to change your hitching post you see Paul even said, the things that I ought to do, I find myself having a hard time doing. And the things that I don't want to do, I find myself stumbling and, and find myself getting caught up in the moment and doing those things. Sometimes it may take us changing our hitching post. And I don't hook up in front of the saloon anymore because I don't want to go into the saloon. I don't want to get close to the things that I used to do. I don't want to get, go, get close to the places I used to go. I'm going to shun them. I'm going to avoid them. I'm going to turn away from them. <laughs> Fella driving down the road. It was in California. It wasn't here. Because it's called a California stop. They may have Salem stops, similar, I don't know. They do have these in California, you know, the ones where you just kind of roll up to the stop sign, look, and roll on through. Those of you laughing guilty, that was a question, but don't answer. Fella pulls up, does that California slide and glide through the stop sign. Failed to see there was a police officer sitting over to his right. Gets through, next thing you know, he looks in and that cop's pulled in behind him, lit him up, lets the siren go off. He pulls over, the police officer walks up. Says, sir, do you know why I pulled you over? Jim looks at him and says, well, not exactly. He says, well, you didn't stop at the stop sign back there. He said, well, I, I slowed down. The officer said, but you didn't stop. To which the man replied, well, there was no traffic. Slow down, stop. What's the difference? Police officer reaches in, grabs him by the front of his shirt, yanks him through the window, pulls out his billy club, club begins to beat the man and says, which would you prefer me to do, slow down or stop? We live in a world, and tragically, we live in a religious world that far too many times people come in, they come to an altar, they repent, they get baptized, and they get filled with the Holy Ghost, but they don't completely give up their sin. They simply slow down. And Paul said, should we continue in sin? God forbid. In other words, stop. I don't want to just slow down. I want to stop.
stop. I don't want to keep going the direction I was going. He didn't shed his blood so I could still live in the muck and the mire, but he shed it to bring me out and to deliver me. I don't go the places I used to go. I don't do the things I used to do. I don't act the way I used to act. You know, they used to say, if it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, acts like a duck, it's a duck. Tell that to the goose that was mistaken for a duck. Hoax, we can act like if we walk like the world, talk like the world, act like the world, and we walk like, act like, and talk like a Christian, it's okay. Hoax, I don't want to get caught up in the things that I want to go back to righteousness. I want to return back to a right relationship with God. If that means I have to watch where I go and I have to watch whom I follow, I'm willing to be careful. I'm willing to be cautious. Thirdly, as I draw to a close, and I'm really drawn to a close, I have to watch who I fellowship with. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and 16 says, But be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? We've already said it, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. Now, I don't know about you, I'll pick on me. I always pick on me because if I pick on you, you get mad at me. I pick on me, well, I just get mad at myself. and I've learned to get glad in the same shoes I got mad in. But I have learned, I've lived long enough, if, if I'm rubbing shoulders with the world... Let, let me just put it this way. There are some people, there are some friends and some relationships that I've had in my life that I had to give up with people that were in the world, not because they were necessarily evil, wicked, or vile people, but because I found in living for God, when I began to rub shoulders on, they begin to rub off on me a little bit more than I rub off on them. And I have caught myself too many times having to come back and say, God, I can't, I can't go hang out with them anymore. I can't, I can't have the kind of relationship that I, I've had with them because it affects my spirituality. You hang out with somebody who's negative all the time, and before long you find out you get negative. Find out, you hang out with somebody mad all the time, and before long you're mad all the time. I have to watch who I fellowship with in and out of the church, but particularly out of the church. Because that world is going to affect me a whole lot more than I'm going to affect them because my flesh, even though I put it under the blood, even though I may pray and I may fast and I may sacrifice and I may, I may put it on the altar, I'm still flesh and blood. And I'm still going to have some desires for the things of the world. But I'm going to watch who I fellowship with.
because I don't want my good to ever be evil spoken of. I don't want my righteousness to ever be able to be looked down upon. I want, I want to be the kind of person that the world looks to. It says, you know what? When I decide to get my life right, that's who I want to go talk to. I want to be the kind of a Christian. And I'm grateful to know I'm part of a church that's this way. That there are people that say, you know what, when I have a need, I call First Apostolic Church of Salem because they believe in prayer. And I've seen them around town. I see them in the community and they are who they say they are. They don't leave a question in my mind. I don't have second thoughts. I, I know that that's the kind of people I want to be around. I want to associate with. I want them saying, I want to be around them. I want to fellowship with them because they've got something I want and I need. That's why in this wicked day, it's so important for us as a church to do as Hosea said, to be obedient to that appeal and that call to come and return to the Lord. I don't ever want to get too far from the altar. I don't ever want to wander too far away from a place where God can get a hold of me. As we stand, I'll never forget my dad and my grandfather telling the story of my Uncle Jim. Uncle Jimmy died long before I was ever born. Never had the opportunity, never got to meet him. But I remember them telling the story. Uncle Jimmy was about 12, 13 years of age. Got the Holy Ghost. Got baptized. Next service. Grandpa preached, gave the altar call. Uncle Jimmy came down to the altar. Weeping and sobbing. Praying. Getting a hold of God. The next service, the same thing came down on his face. Weeping, crying, repenting, pouring himself out. This went on about three or four weeks. And the grandpa pulled Uncle Jimmy aside and said, Jimmy, he said, what's going on? He said, what's happening? Is there anything wrong? Anything I can help you pray, pray about? Uncle Jimmy said, no, why? Grandpa said, well, I've noticed the past few weeks, even since you got the Holy Ghost, you've been coming down and You've been in the altar weeping and crying and praying, repenting. So I just wanted to, to make sure everything was okay. My Uncle Jim, he looked at Grandpa and said, Dad, he said, after I got the Holy Ghost that night, he said, that next service I realized the greatest thing that ever happened to me in my life happened at that altar. And I don't ever want to forget that. I don't ever want to get away from it. But I want to go back to that altar every opportunity I get. Because I want to make sure 
that my life is right. I've grown up my entire life, many of you have as well, hearing that Jesus is coming. We may not have tomorrow. We may not have next week. And after hearing that for so long, a lot of times you can kind of become dull to it. Take it for granted. We can get lured in and tempted into saying, well, I've, I've always got Sunday or I've always got Wednesday or I've got tomorrow. But life, James said, is but a vapor. It's here and then it's gone. I want to live my life. I want to return to righteousness. I want, I want to make sure I am living righteous and godly. One, because this world needs a righteous and a godly example. But I don't want anything to keep me from heaven. I don't even want the simplest thing to keep me from heaven. I began... to notice for the past few months as God began to deal very heavily with this that we're living in a day and age his return is very soon and we're living in a time where we must make sure of our salvation we've got to make sure our hearts are right I began to share with my wife. I said, I have found, even in my prayer time, I have noticed that I pray, and I don't say this egotistically or bragging, but I said, I found myself praying in the Spirit more than in my own. English fleshly language and I began to talk to God I began to ask God I just want to make sure I said I want to make sure I'm right in what I'm doing I began to realize that there's sometimes we pray in our flesh we're more apt to ask or to seek after the desires and the wants and the needs of the flesh. But when we begin to pray in the Spirit, we begin to pray righteously. We're seeking after righteousness and the righteous things of God. And all I've wanted is God, just let me be right with you. Don't let me walk away. Don't let me walk too far. And God, when I begin to just remind me of the words of Hosea, send somebody to say, come and return to the Lord. I think it's awesome that as a church just completed an entire month of focused prayer and fasting. Because what it communicates not just to God, but to this world and to one another, is that we're dedicated to righteousness. And I wonder, tonight, 
they began to play, they began to sing. If we can just gather in for a moment, say, God, I want to return to righteousness. If my heart, if my mind, if my spirit is drifted, God, I want to, I want to get my focus back. I don't want there to be any distractions. The Bible says that when Jesus came out of the wilderness after 40 days of praying and fasting, that the devil showed up. I have done extended fasts before. I've told my friends, as a matter of fact, I, this isn't said brainly, I did, last year I did a 40-day liquid-only fast. In the midst of that fast, God began to deal with me on that. A friend of mine called. We were talking. And I said, I just want to share something with you. I said, he was keeping me encouraged through that fast. I said, God began to share something with me. I'm not worried about the first or second day of the fast. Not really worried about day 21, 22. I'm not even really worried about day 38, 39, or 40. I said, I am worried about day 41 folks you have just come off a month of praying and fasting I can promise you the devil didn't show up too much during that time but day 41 is coming Jesus came out of the desert full of power you've come out of a desert full of power and I can promise you the devil's going to show up and he's going to try and trip you up make you stumble I believe I'm looking at you saying huh we return to righteousness we won't be tempted we won't be drawn away we won't be pulled aside but we're marching onward and upward and we're going to reach our world with the gospel if there anybody wants to say, wants to step out and gather and say, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna get it right. We're gonna return to righteousness. We're gonna make sure our hearts, our lives, our spirits are right with God as we pour out ourselves to Him.